Hey, hey, Maureen. Maureen, we're going to start. Come on in the closet. Is it time? It's time. All right, here I come. I'm here. Wow. That is That's a transformation. Right. I'm in. And hey, 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 says Whovians. Happy September. Woo! We did it. September. Woo! We did it. Yay. Dan. Yay. Yay. What are we? What are we? September. What are we celebrating? Why well, September? Well, we're getting back to it's back to school. We just had a big the summer break is over. August was just a nice this quiet month in politics, you know, and the Congress is on the run recess and the president finally took a break and did some golfing and we just had a nice peaceful end of the summer and now nope. it's woo it's nope. just time back no, to we school. Didn't. Maureen, Nothing was going you, on to get the everything back not, to school. Back to school. Maureen, have you been, no more swimming. Have you looked at the have I have I looked at have I looked at what? I mean, it's, it's nice. not. We were been swimming. A, we were the sunbathing. Of, we had a no, nice Labor Day. No, the end of summer was not that. I mean, just for one, in one single day, Houston flooded. Uh, Trump implemented a ban on all transgender troops in all the armed forces. He pardoned a racist sheriff and one of his Nazis left the White House. And that was just a Friday. I th- Were you... The summer and now didn't... it's time to go back to school, back to school, back to school, back to school special. Welcome to Says Who, the podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a coping strategy. I'm Dan Sinker. And I'm Maureen Johnson. And Dan, you I have a feeling you think I'm saying things a little strangely. A little? Staying upbeat, Dan. I'm upbeat. Back to school. I'm feeling like Where you, you know I hate the fall I hate the fall, actually. Oh. I'm one of these people that's like I'm like, fuck your pumpkin spice latte. Summer forever, but I'm trying to be positive about it this year. Trying to be, I'm trying to really like it. Fall is a wonderful time of year, pumpkin spice notwithstanding. You get to wear jeans and like a light jacket. Ah, oh, I love the fall. You don't like the fall? What do you have against the fall? Days get shorter. Yeah, but it just means more time for movies and, and lights outside. You can hang your orange lights, Halloween lights outside. Yeah, I have that day shortening thing, um, but I'm trying to fight it. I have that psychological thing, that's trouble with the day shortening, and um, I don't like it when all the leaves come off the tree. I like the the I like a canopy of green. Seasons change, like though. It's good sign sign of change. I know. Find it where you can. I well, you know, the August is is a quiet political season, and then it goes into the fall, which is when everything kind of gets all stirred up. So basically, we are now going to go into you. Real excitement. As Trump himself tweeted just yesterday, I believe. Big week ahead. I Was that yesterday or this morning? I think it was yesterday. <laughs> but who knows anymore? Who even knows what days are? 2017 has felt like one day. 
Yeah. Just one. It's just been one day. Basically. And we're still in it. Yeah. Well, you know, but it's back to school. Uh, so if you're going back to school, uh, hey, great. I hope you got your pencils and whatever it is that you use in school. Here's the thing that happens in schools now, Maureen, that you may not know. You can just order all mm-hmm. your school supplies ahead, and then they just deliver a box to you. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, but you, what's, don't you want to like go to Target and be like, post it? No, because see, you don't. That's, it sucks. Having, having, having a child who is now 12, uh, I can tell you that the idea that somebody had of like, hey, you know what? Let's just order all that shit ahead of time and you give us like 40 bucks. Uh, man, good idea. Thank you. Because there's nothing worse as an adult. I totally get it as a child. There is nothing worse as an adult than having to go to like 14 different department stores and office supply stores to find the right type of pencil or the six different colors of notebooks, but you can only find five. And so then you need to keep going and going and going to find that. I have a lot of problems with school supply shopping, Maureen. See, I would do that for you. I would come to Chicago and do that for you. Whoa. I'm on board with that. School supply shopping as a service. This is literally how they started shipping boxes of school supplies to people. Maybe you should just get into that. You could do it for an entire district. I have a lot of really like kind of other skills that I'm going to cultivate if I if I have to. For example, I will clean your computer for you. I will detail it like I did it. My other half, his computer, I was looking at the other day. I was like, this is disgusting. Give it to me. And I detailed it like I'd. I have like special cloths and like Q-tips and alcohol and special cleaner and I clean it kind of key by key Whoa. until it shines. Like the top of the Chrysler building. Like the top of the Chrysler building. Yeah, says who? I'll clean your computer. I'll do it. Let uh, me clean your computer for you. Write to me. Morton, it has been a crazy fucking two weeks. Which is what we always say, but uh, it really has been. Um, like the, like the the drowning of a major American city, rapidly moving up on the number three spot of total giant sized cities. So sad to even if you are from, and we're going to be talking to someone from Houston today, so we are going to get to this in depth. Um, but that was I could not stop watching coverage of the flood um, or sending stuff or thinking about them. I mean, it's just uh, uh, heartbreaking beyond a comprehension. And we have a big old, big old hurricane now sitting in the Atlantic that has not only gone to category five, but is now exceeding potentially exceeding expectations for the strength of a hurricane. Yeah, and with the second one in line right behind it. But by no means, Maureen, should we discuss climate change or anything like that. Also, L.A. is on was on fire. And uh, and the Pacific Northwest. Nobody's talking about that. But I have a number of friends up in the Seattle area and they are in major league ash falling from the sky level fires as well. Yeah, I know people up in Missoula, and so, yeah, so there's there's fires, there's uh, one Houston underwater, there's a, a a. Do we got locusts anywhere? Yeah, there's a hurricane the size of Ohio because we're recording this on Tuesday, 
And right now, Irma is Category 5 and moving up in the size of Ohio and is poised to hit Florida right now. So it may be different, but it'll, you know, you'll be in the future hearing this. So you'll know where more about where it actually hit. So that's all fun. That's it, all. It's, um, uh, yeah. And then you've got, so you've got multiple hurricanes. You've got forest fires kind of up and down the entire West Coast and, and encroaching into the West. You have uh, North Korea once again suddenly arriving with nuclear missiles and intercontinental ballistic missiles and uh yeah and then you have uh just today official word that they are ending the uh dreamers act uh and suddenly kind of uh putting into question many 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 young folk that have been amazing people in america and suddenly are being told that they may be uh, out of America, the only place they've ever known. We have all of these things going on at the same time. And we have someone that is clearly not particularly good at walking and chewing gum at the helm of all of he them. He is, however, good at, at selling really big hats that say USA on them. I do like the idea that they have like an embroidery machine in the White House and just like a lot of hat blanks. I want to think that he has a bedazzler. That he's sitting there with his wall. You know how they have that that conference room that they've filled with screens and he has his snack and he has the screens. And I just want to sit there and he's that's what I used to do when I was little. My aunt used to give me like my aunt was a seamstress and she would send me like bags of like her leftover, like her cloth leavings. And I would just like a maniac on Friday nights as a small like a small eight-year-old child would just sit there happily digging through this weird bag and making just tubes for Barbie dolls because that's all I could sew were these tubes and I would just make tubes and watch Lawrence Welk with my with the aunt who had the bird who committed yeah. suicide she was obsessed with watching um, Lawrence Welk and the Mandrell sister show and I would sit there digging through a bag of cloth making tubes I don't think that's I just have a feeling that Trump is outsourcing that to someone else in the in the white house like some like like pence or someone like he's he's putting his best guy on it but uh i just don't see him doing a lot of work did you see any video of him uh the two times that he went to to houston because definitely what needs to happen when you are in the midst of and then recovering from uh a thousand year flood is a major like political figure coming in and disrupting everything and so he went twice uh the second time saying, what a crowd yeah the second time it seemed entirely because he was criticized for not actually interacting with anyone that had been affected by the hurricane uh so then he went to the to the shelter and did you see any video of him uh attempting to help i did because this is what makes me think he's never touched a bedazzler yeah he he was asked to give a that goes in a bucket of stuff that he had to give to someone who had came up in a pickup truck and it was a bucket. So yeah. you should put the bucket in the bed of the truck. But he like yeah. he kind of awkwardly shoves, <laughs> shoves the bucket in the window, shoves the thing yeah, through the window of the pickup truck, like into the driver's lap. <laughs> Here's your bucket. Yeah. There, that video, I've studied that video. There are so many amazing moments in that video. That one being clearly the most amazing. But uh, 
there's one moment where he has two boxes of the same size, and they are like sort of your standard 12 inch wide by like 24 inch deep type box, like the kind of box that you would get a shipment of books in. Um, he's handed one and he goes and he puts it in to the, um, bed of the truck. Cause after he handed the bucket to the person in the window, uh, there was a gentleman who actually pointed and said, Oh, you should put stuff in there and pointed to the bed of the pickup truck. Um, and so then he did begin putting, you know, the couple of things, but he has two boxes of the same size box. So he puts one down on the, in the truck. And then they cut away and they have him handed a second one of the same size. And Maureen, if you were handed a box of the same size, how would you place it in relation to the first box you put in? Well, I put, maybe put it next to it. Is that? Sure. Next to, on top, sure. where they match. Mm -hmm. Either, yeah. He put it perpendicular. So it immediately flops over sideways into the empty part of the truck bed uh, and then turns around as if like, OK, cool. Next thing. And then he's handed one more thing. And then you can clearly see a look on his face of like, wait, y'all are going to keep handing me shit. And he just kind of then puts a stop to it. He yells out, that was great exercise. And then uh, they cut the video. Wonderful. It's my Zapruder film, Maureen. <laughs> There's a moment where somebody opens an umbrella, and at that point, no, I, it's a I, it's a hell of a. Video. I have a bad mental image of you now having transferred this to real to real, and you sit in a room at night, and you've got a big projector, and it just flickers yeah. on the wall. I'm like he hands the he hands the tub up and to the left, <laughs> up and to the left. Yeah, no, it's no good. Though second that that obsession of that video was superseded the previous one where he was attempting to uh, feed food to people in the shelter and was handed rubber gloves and uh, out of nowhere yells to the media, which is a good distance away from him. My hands are too big. <laughs> uh, oh, this is how we die. No, it's fine. You guys, it's fine. This is, this is a coping strategy and how can we learn to cope with the things that we've seen? Do you have any wisdom to lay on us this week, Dan? How have you coped? Uh, you know what? I did do something, actually, uh, this weekend. I think I've made mention before that my family is uh, uh, big fans of road tripping. And we go on quite long road trips. Um, uh, most summers, uh, I end up working and that's often why, you know, during the summer months I have had been in weird locations, like in fact, Colorado in the very last time we recorded. Um, but anyway, we were home. It was a three day weekend this weekend. We were all sort of stressed out and, um, we are in Chicago and, uh, Chicago is actually the start of route 66, um, which, is one of those things where it's like uh, the idea of Route 66 conjures up all of this bullshit, like baby boomer nostalgia shit in my head. And I've never been very interested in it. And certainly like most of my imagery of it is is associated with the movie Cars, which both my older son and now my younger son were totally obsessed with. And so I think of like the Southwest and I think of Santa Monica and I don't think of the fact that 15 miles away from where I live is the start of this thing. And so my wife and I were like, hey, you know what? Let's just take a day and drive 
down this, you know, old two lane highway and see what's going on. And it was amazing. And it was also amazing because like we were at the furthest that we had driven. Once we hopped on a, a interstate, we were two hours from home. Like we were not far from home. And it felt like we were totally removed from everything and kind of removed from time for a while. And uh, that felt great. And um, I would definitely recommend figuring out ways of just kind of escaping for a bit. It was it was surprisingly rejuvenating. Like even it was, in fact, it was yesterday and multiple points today, both my wife and I have remarked like that was kind of amazing. And I actually feel a lot better from it. That's awesome. So there, Maureen, I did think of something. That's great. See? And what about you? Well, um, my, uh, my dog has torn her ACL and, uh, yes, she has. It's terrible. It's very sad. Sure. Her leg has been hurting and, she sometimes limps and I took her over to the vet last week and they think we said we think it's a torn ACL and this morning I had to take her over and she had to be sedated for uh, x-rays and exam the doctor came out and was like that is torn that is super torn that is the tornest it's like your dog has no knees and I was like this is terrible we have to get her surgery right away and the key with this is that they can't you have to convince your dog not to play that she's just got to lay around all the right. time. And you know what? Dogs do not understand that. They don't understand it, Dan. So what I have on my hands, I work from home, and now I have a super bored athletic dog noodling around going, yeah, this is my play. Is it playtime? And so I just took her outside, and I'm just trying to keep her mind occupied by taking her, but the walks are super slow. But... On the super slow walk, I happened to look over and I realized that some people had been having a little picnic near my apartment and they'd put like half a pizza in the trash and these squirrels had found this pizza and they were dragging out entire slices and dragging these pizza slices up a tree. Whoa. And then, so I look up and there's pizza in the trees and I was like, pizza tree. And so... Then this one squirrel comes down because he's like having trouble balancing the pizza in the tree and he comes down and he folds his slice in half like a real New Yorker. And he's like eating the tip and then he turns around and then he's eating the crust. And then I hear this up as like there's like a pizza fight going on in the tree and then a piece of pizza falls from the tree. There's pizza falling from the trees, Dan. And then they come down there has like a battle over who has the pizza. And meanwhile, my dog's just watching this like, what is happening? And I'm watching it, and it's a world of wonder, Dan, where you can see pizza fall from the trees. And sometimes you just got to look up. Man. Yeah. Live every day like you're standing underneath a pizza tree. Exactly. See, don't you feel better? I feel hungry. Yeah. You'd like it if you saw a pizza tree. But, Dan, we could be another step closer to Disney World. We could, though not this week, because uh, Disney has, in fact, instituted uh, hurricane policies <laughs> for what happens if a fucking hurricane flies up through Florida. Uh, oh, I didn't think of that. If you're oh, living no. there, my laughing is not uh, at the situation, but at the pure frustration of the situation. It's just, it's just a hor- it's a horror sound. Yeah, they oh, no, um, we're thinking about you. Oh, God, I actually, yes. I actually it's... know someone that was at Disney when I what, was it Hurricane Matthew. Well, it was a there was a hurricane that came through a few years ago, uh, up through uh, Florida, and 
uh, he was actually at a conference at the Contemporary, which is that sort of like... Um, Looks like an Aztec 70s space bunker. Yeah, exactly. And the and the monorails go through it. So it's open. Um, and they it was I think it was the first time in something like 20 years that they had to close off the monorail holes uh, because of the amount of rain and wind that was about to come through. So, yeah, if Trump we we have a longstanding plan that we are going to Disney World when uh, Trump either leaves or is uh, thrown out or, you know, whatever leads to him no longer being in office. We should hold off till after the hurricane. If things just come but, together real quick, we might want to hold. Well, we will go down. And we will help you clean up. That's true. We will walk. We will walk down Main Street, USA, and we will help pick up things. I will anyway. Yeah, and then I'll I'm get into a Dole Whip and a hat. A hat. We'll come here and contribute to the economy. But M- Mueller's team has not been idle. No, and uh, I did. I did read one article in New York Magazine today that said they're. Because one of the worries has been that if these various cronies of Trump are charged, that he will just pardon them all. But apparently, there's a way around that. Yes, there he is. Can, Trump can Trump can pardon federal crimes, but he can't pardon things that are prosecuted on the state level. That's right. So Mueller is now, I think, working with New York State. And uh, that means potentially no pardons. That means potentially start flipping them and apparently i think this is how they handle some mob cases yeah i mean there, there have definitely been so, sort of folks that have been watching this that have been saying for quite a while that what this what the kind of the tea leaves of reading between the lines of of Mueller's basic moves is uh is that they are looking at this as some as like a rico type case like a mob case so and speaking of mobsters maureen we have made uh, a bit on this episode on this show about the various uh, colorful, let's say, characters uh, that inhabit the Trump orbit. And the past couple weeks have uh, brought the story of the fact that Trump was actively uh, seeking to build a Trump Tower in Moscow during the campaign. And Maureen, it introduced, I think, my most favorite of all of these odd secondary characters of the Trump administration in the body of Felix Sater. Maureen, this guy, there are a number of articles that refer to him as like having a colored past or like having been, uh, you know, prosecuted prior to, uh, you know, this thing. He was in a bar fight, Maureen, and not just like a little bit of a drunk taking a swing at someone because really, who among us? But uh, he got in a bar fight where he attacked a guy, I believe, with a martini glass, and the other guy had to get 110 stitches. And this is the guy setting up a real estate deal in Moscow for Donald Trump. But also tied into that whole deal was our guy, says who guy, Michael Cohen. It's true. Just when you think you're done with him. Says who guy is back. He says who's his way back in. And we even got some statements from Ty Cobb, the bewhiskered, head full of rocks, 
lawyer for our president. Statements like, I believe, writing a, a one reporter at 1.30 in the morning and asking if she was on drugs. <laughs> yes, indeed. But also, more importantly, Dan, the mooch followed me on Twitter. Yeah, welcome to the club, Maureen. Welcome to okay, the mooch say, club. Don't just say welcome to, because, okay, I know he followed you first, but then he went on a bender one day that well, he was following, like, a lot of fantasy authors, and I was like, I'll get him now, and then I didn't get him. And then one day he started following all these romance authors, and I was like, I'm going to get him today, and he didn't come, and then finally I was like, mooch, you better fucking follow me! Mooch, you fucker! And then he followed me, and he seemed into it, and he even liked some of the tweets. What?! Yeah. You didn't say that part. I didn't want to brag. Cause he still has he, not he has not responded to my DMs. Yeah, he liked how he liked it. He, you can tell he's into that kind of thing. Oh, have you DM'd so he, him? No, not yet, but I'm waiting for the right time. Oh man. No, hey Mooch. So Mooch, if you're listening, we're waiting for you. We're right here. We're your friends, Mooch. This is a safe this is a Mooch space. It is a Come mooch space. For sure. But Dan, this uh this episode we have just an amazing guest. We do. And and it she ties together so many things that are going on. Um what's happening in Houston right now, activism, taking action, spontaneous action. Uh she's got it all. We're extremely lucky to have Laura Moser, who is an author. She's an activist and now congressional candidate for Texas's seventh district. And it is hard to say Texas's, Texas's, Texas's seventh, Texas's seventh district. Says Whovian, say seven times fast, Texas's seventh district. There's a little twit. Forget about it. Anyway, she's running against a 16-year incumbent. She's running as a Democrat in Texas, in Houston, and she's the best. And she's going to tell us about activism, running for office, the floods. So let's get to it. So first and foremost, you're in Houston right now, and you've been very active throughout the flooding. So if you could just tell us what the situation is like down there right now. Sure. And I will say this is the first time I've done any kind of interview about what's happening because it's this is, you know, the first day kids have been back to some extent. The, the HISD isn't opening for another week, they hope, but everything has been in a state of, you know, complete crisis mode. Um, but yeah, things are I, I, things are worse than you could imagine and even neighborhood by neighborhood, they're worse. You know, one neighborhood you see 90% of the house is completely gutted with mountains of um, people's possessions on the curb. And then the next neighborhood, it's 100%. And then you'll go one block over and people will, were unhit. You know, and we've been really focusing our efforts in a neighborhood of Northeast Houston that I'd never even been to or heard of until about four days ago that is completely gone. Um, I mean, every single house has been completely flooded, and yet people are still living there um, in these houses with their children. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I, you know, for a first world country, it is, I, it's, I, I can't believe that it's America in 2017, you know, when you go down some of these streets. And I commend everyone in the city government who's working really hard to help people, but it's just the scale of it is just massive. 
I mean, it's that scale that to me is is hard to fathom because Houston is huge, right? Like, I mean, I've been to big cities before, but this is a, a place that really sprawls out. And th- how big are we talking about? Yes, it's bigger than Rhode Island. Jesus. I mean, I read something about it's bigger than Massachusetts this week, but I'd always heard Rhode Island. So that's what I'm, I don't, I don't know, you know, um, it's massive and it just sprawls in every direction. Um, and that's, you know, part of, part of something that people are studying about why this flooding, obviously you dump 50 inches of rain directly onto the fourth largest city in the country. There's going to be major problems, but, um, why is the flooding so severe wise. I mean, and it goes out all the way toward Louisiana. It goes all the way down the coast. It's just, you know, I haven't left Harris County yet. I've been this, the neighborhood I'm working in is on the way to Beaumont, which is one of the big oil refinery towns kind of on the road to Louisiana. Um, but everything from miles and miles in every direction is just destroyed. I welcome everyone to come down and help us in a couple months when the sort of first flush of relief enthusiasm, which has been great, is over because it's going to be many, many years all over coastal Texas. The damage is, you know, just not just rehousing countless people, but the mold, the toxins, the infrastructure, the just looking at the pictures the you can't you almost can't take it in on all you can sort of do after a while is just stare at just the that one of those classic images of the road with just and it looks like an ocean looks like venice right yeah and one of our biggest street i mean one of the bayous still hasn't really drained and i was in a neighborhood that i kind of grew up near that i go to all the time but i somehow hadn't been there since the flood and this major street, Allen Parkway, is still completely flooded. You know, it's one of the major thoroughfares to downtown, and it's not, you know, and there are parts of West Houston where we've been going where um, I guess it stopped raining exactly, it's Tuesday, so it stopped raining exactly seven days ago and about 30, about 7 p.m. seven days ago. And there are, they're releasing water from this, these two reservoirs and these houses still, there's water all the way up to the top of their front doors. And those houses, no one's ever going to live in them again, you know. What's the mood like in Houston? Just how are people doing? Well, it's really, you know, Houston's like, I don't know if, if, if either of you have spent time here, but it's a pretty awesome community of people. And I think people now are just completely focused on, you know, I mean, there's, I, I, I think there's, we're still in the sort of early stages of, of shock. We don't, we're not at the rebuilding stage, but everyone is just really trying to do everything they can to help people. Um, and that's, that's been, you know, I don't think that's just sort of a media bromide. I think really there's been a uniquely um, unifying kind of spirit of we, like we can we will rebuild we can fix this and people just helping doing whatever they can and kind of everyone appre- everyone who's lucky appreciates it and everyone who wasn't lucky is leaning on their um, friends and family and and I mean people I've met I've met more people in the last week just everyone is trying to go wherever they're needed as much as they can and today was kind of for many people the first work day. And people are like leaving work and going to buy more asthma medication and drop it at this site. And, you know, I, I just hope we can sustain. I mean, I, I sort of felt this way right after the 
Women's March. Like I, I thought, I hope we can sustain this level of resistance to Donald Trump. And uh, by the opposite token, I feel like we can, if we can sustain this level of kind of community spirited generosity, that we can help rebuild the city. It's not going to be the same city ever. Um, and then there will inevitably be more flooding until we figure out how to, you know, redo our infrastructure. But um, but right now people are just like focused on helping their neighbors and friends and total strangers. I my father lived in Clearwater when I was a child, and so we spent a lot of time in Houston, and I really love it. Like I have such fond memories of childhood in Houston, and um, it really is a people are very kind and very lovely, and I. I am just so sorry. Like, it's just so heartbreaking. And yes, so if there are ways to give, if there are ways to sustain, um, if you have any kind of good uh, places that uh, for giving. Yeah, I mean, there is a good, there's, a, there's the mayor who's been amazing um, in all of this. And I hope that, and I think he's getting credit for some of the decisions that he made that were life-saving to lots of people. It's called, there's, there's just a Hurricane Harvey relief fund that goes to a lot of local charities. And it's called, it's ghcf.org dash hurricane dash relief. Um, I mean, slash hurricane dash relief. But anyway, that goes to sort of on the ground organizations that are helping, you know, rehabilitate the city, you know, helping all sorts of different communities. I've been just doing, um, I've been bringing, organizing supply drives and cleanouts to this neighborhood that, I mean, it's in the city of Houston. I don't even think they know. I mean, I, I mean, some, some of the residents of this community, I mean, many of them are undocumented, obviously, and not, they're afraid to seek shelter, you know, to get help. But um, a lot of them are just off the grid. There's no grocery store within 25 minutes of this large neighborhood where many people live. Um, and it's just, you see that in every city there are these, I mean, in Queens, there's these communities that are kind of disconnected from the larger thriving life of the city. And I think it's important that we all try to help those communities that were struggling even before the storm. And now it's hard to see, you know, it's hard to think about what recovery will look like in those areas. So I'm just telling everyone to, do, to donate to the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund because it just seems to be administered by people who know. And also, I'm a, I'm a crazy animal person. So obviously, the SPCA, there are lots and lots of animals who have died in the storm, many, many who have been displaced. Um, I was working with the animals in the shelter, the first, you know, in the convention center shelter and, like, people who escaped with their animals. And then you get out and, like, what do you do with your cat, you know? Um, so... There's another group called Friends for Life. I think they're all over the country, but, you know, no-kill animal organizations. Because if you lose your home, it's kind of hard to keep your pets. You were, were a writer. You you wrote some YA books, so you were in, we were in the in St. Mary. Long time ago, but yes, yes. And um, then when Donald Trump was elected, um, you made some really big decisions. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about how you came to do these two big things, these two major acts of activism. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they certainly, well, they like all big decisions, you sort of fall into them step by step without noticing like that suddenly you're pregnant and living, you know, and married or whatever, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something I just sort of felt like I had to, um, do more than I had been doing after the election of Trump, which came as like a very big, 
shock to me and to my notion of what America is and what the America, what America was becoming. I felt really, you know, I, I bought into the whole Obama's America thing that like we were on a good continuum finally. Um, so yeah, I started this group about a month after the election called daily action. Um, and because I just wanted to do something little every day, you know, I just knew so many people on Facebook and Twitter were like, blasting out petitions every day and like do this and do that. And it was totally overwhelming. So daily action basically gave people one very quick thing they could do every day. And since I've mostly worked as a journalist and my idea was to just condense one, you know, condense a lot of information into a, a text message so that people can know like, this is the most urgent thing that you can do today. This is how you can act on it. And it obviously was it struck a chord. Like lots of people signed up. We had nearly 300,000 people and, it was just, I felt like, oh, I'm good. You know, I'm good at communicating with people and kind of my husband has worked in democratic politics for 10 years. So I've seen kind of up cl close sort of what I consider to be some like communication deficiencies within the current democratic party, you know, and I felt like after the election that they were really not helping us, you know, it, their supporters kind of come to terms with what to do. If that well, if I could ask you to specify what you what you're talking about when you say your husband uh, worked in democratic politics, your husband was the, uh, among other things, the in-house videographer for the Obama administration. Yes. And he worked on the um, campaign, too. And then he after he left, he went to join a startup that does a lot of different um Democratic or progressive politicians and causes. Um, so he's worked for lots of people and still does. Um, and most of the people he works for, I think, are great. Um, but I just felt like in general, I mean, this is so inside baseball, but all, the Democrats were like obsessing about the DNC chair race. And I, I'm like a pretty informed person and I really didn't care that much. You know, I'm like, <laughs> why aren't they, you know what I mean? Why aren't they? Yeah talking about like how we're all going to die, you know, <laughs> that's what we needed to be. The average Democrat doesn't care, like does not know the difference between Tom Perez and Keith Ellison. They both seemed like very nice men to me, you know, and as I, to some degree, I felt that way about, I feel that way about a lot of democratic primaries. I'm just like, let's just get, you know, a good person out there and end the petty, you know, insider inside baseball stuff. But anyway, so, so then I just kind of, it kind of, went from there. Like I just, I live in this district that, um, I grew up in this district and live there now that Hillary won that, and our representative is like very right wing. He's not like one of those normal people that you hope will write, will vote the right way on DACA or anything. You know, you just know he's going to vote with the furthest right element of the party. Um, and it's definitely a challenging district. It's still, it's still a Republican district, but you know, Hillary carried it. Um, and there's an opening. So, I mean, a bunch of people have jumped into this race, but I think it's exciting. You know, I, I definitely didn't know what running for office would be like when I decided to do it. That's what I mean. I'm like, Oh yeah, let's do it. You know, a lot of people asked me, I thought about it. I've been wanting, you know, to come back. We've talked about coming back for a long time, but then once you actually do it, it's pretty crazy. You so know, you move from Washington totally... DC back to Houston in order to run yes. for office. Yes. And you threw and you jumped in. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm going to get a house and like take my kids out of school. You know, you can't just do that casually. It has to be a real, you know. Yeah. You made a commitment. Kind of all or nothing. Yeah. And that's kind of how I do things in general. But yeah, I just thought like, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. And, it, and I kind of went back and forth for a while. But once I decided I was, you know, all in. And you're running against a 16 year incumbent who I, I've been reading about his various policies and positions. And he is a Tea Party, basically. Yes. And yeah, it's more of like a country club Republican district. And he's a Tea Partier. You know, I mean, he's kind of out of step. They're very, this was George H.W. Bush's district. It's like a very moderate educated Republican district, but it's also changed like all of Houston since the last census. Like no one really knows who exactly is living here and voting here because there's the, you know, there's so much um, immigration to Houston in general. So you could turn this, this corner of Texas blue. Yeah. I mean, someone, it's going to be blue by 2022, you know, based on my non-scientific analysis of lots of numbers, you know, by the time, it's it's going to be it, the question is, can it be blue now? And I obviously think it can be or I wouldn't have jumped into the race, you know, but I think I think it's not like a giveaway election. You have to work really hard and you have to have like the, the right candidate. I obviously, for various reasons, you know, think that I am that candidate. I think it's kind of an outsider year. I I'm it's like the 80th year of the woman. You know, I think finally having this serial sexual assaulter in the White House might turn, you know, it certainly got a lot of women to run for office. And I'm really proud to be part of that. You know, I'm definitely motivated by Trump's election. I mean, I'm not embarrassed, but there's how many, like 13,000 other women who are running for office for the first time. And I'm, I'm just like proud to be part of that crew. Yeah. I mean, so what's what's interesting to me is, you know, there has been, you know, very well documented sort of this this just onslaught of women registering and running for office. Very few of those 13,000 are now in a district that is, you know, underwater, you know, like and I'm I'm curious about how the hurricane and the the floods and the, you know, incredibly lengthy cleanup you know, how has that changed the way you're thinking about what you're doing in running for office? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think it's it's interesting because there are all these, you know, I mean, for one thing, it's suspended everything like nothing else matters. Like we haven't my campaign. Certainly, we're just trying to coordinate relief efforts. But I, I do think, yeah, it's going to be a one issue election and it's not going to be about like whether you're pro-choice or like against gun violence. It's going to be like, are you going to let my home be ruined for the fourth time in eight years, which many people in this district have are in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, um, I mean, my husband always says he's like, you're a new deal Democrat and not a jerk about it. And I actually like believe that the federal government is an engine of good. And we cannot, if we had had someone making good decisions, and getting money. The city needs so much money for infrastructure, like so much. And and if you look at other places that have flooding, they make, you, you know, it's not, we always kind of, Culberson, the incumbent, he is, his main thing is like turning down money in various ways, like money for rail, for certainly for the expansion of Medicaid, you know, he's against stuff, but like, we need money. 
and we pay, you know, like a lot of um, high property taxes in Texas, and we need to start getting something for the taxes that we're paying to the federal government. And I think that the rest of the country gets that as well. Like this is going to be unbelievably expensive for decades for the whole country. And so that's, you know, I was running on that before and I've talked about climate change and the need to rethink how this city is built, you know, from the beginning. But now I think that's, you you certainly don't seem like a fringe liberal saying (laughs) that, you know, the federal government can fix things. Like we can't fix things with, with our city budgets. God knows we try, but you know what I mean? Like we actually need someone who, anyway. Well, so I think that's going to be the election. It does feel like maybe not to oversimplify, but Democrats are kind of at this point about how we need each other and we need a federal government. And the Republican sort of libertarian Tea Party thing is everyone for themselves. You know, we don't need get your own health care, get your own this. But we need each other. And that's sort of what it comes down to is we need each other. And now Houston needs stuff. They need food and building supplies. And Houston deserves stuff because we are like a huge like engine of the America, you know, like we are a very important part of the American economy. And yeah, like Culberson's motto on his website is let Texans run Texans, Texas. And it's like, which basically means saying no to everything and focusing on bathroom, you know, who uses what bathroom that's, um, but yeah, we, we need stuff and we need someone who's going to get it. And, and, you know, because Texas does have like a history. It's kind of a libertarian kind of get off my grass. You know, we were our own country. We've got our, and that's good. We've got the kind of frontier spirit and that's a great thing about Texas, but, but we're also part of this like large economy and we need to start, you know, taking care of, taking care of, I mean, the city will literally, I mean, I always say this, but it's actually very clear now that we will actually be washed out to sea if we don't start making some changes and not just like getting flood insurance and rebuilding expensive houses that we know will flood again in two years, which is what's happened, you know, what's been happening here for too long. I live on, uh, I grew up on a creek that flooded all the time and our town was declared a disaster area multiple times. I have fallen asleep with my feet near the door. So they had passed out at six in the morning after moving furniture because I'm like, the water will wake me when it touches my feet. And our, the federal government gave us money to help put some of the houses up to, you know, move some electric, uh, the electrical systems up to sort of support people in the community. So we could continue living there. Right. And the houses are, you know, community isn't simply destroyed. And that's what the right. money I mean, is Houston's for. Houston's always flooded. Yeah. It's like, this is on a swamp. It's always flooded. We know that. So we can, you know, we can fix it. I mean, it's going to, that sounds easier than it is, obviously, especially because of some of the, you know, but yeah, we can, it's, it's not impossible. The Netherlands where my brother lives is like, his city is like six feet below sea level and they don't flood because they had one flood in 1953 where a lot of people died and they were like, let's fix this. And people pay taxes to help, you know, so that they can have an economy that isn't, you know, I talked to someone who owns a utility company and he was like, I can't stay in Houston if once a year I can't go to work for a week because we're like serving people as a utility all over the world. And if we can't get anyone into our office where you have to be, that's bad, you know, and, and we don't want people to leave our economy, you know, that's, um, but yeah, there are ways you can fix it. They're very expensive and I don't claim to be the infrastructure expert, but they're, you know, we have to start, 
thinking big before the next hurricane season. I mean, we've had three catastrophic floods, three consecutive years. And well, we have right now, as we were just saying, we have the north, the west coast is on fire. Hurricane Irma is at this very moment barreling right. its way towards the Caribbean and Florida. And we have to work together. Or we're yeah. all going to go down. And we also have to acknowledge that, that those things are not unrelated. Like the, the hurricanes and the L.A. County on fire. You know, that that stuff didn't used to happen quite so frequently. You know what I mean? Like some natural disasters are more natural than others. And um, yeah, and just not be afraid to kind of talk about that. That we're not having 1,000 year events now on a weekly basis. Right. And to just kind of read. Yeah, exactly. There is so there's so many problems and it's so easy to just kind of um, rattle them off. And you obviously have taken a much bigger step to say, yep, there are problems. And you know what? Somebody has to stand up and say, I'm going to run for office and, and attempt to fix them. And I'm curious about, you know, what where you found that drive to do something pretty major. I mean, moving a family is difficult. Right. For something I'd never considered doing. I'd like never wanted to run for office at all. Yeah. Like, where did you find that drive? And for other people that are that are kind of in that feeling of like, I need to do something, but I, I don't know how to find the extra push. Like, where did how did you do it? Well, like I said earlier, like I, it's, it's not like something I did all at once. I always say that activism is like a gateway drug. And, and once I did this daily action thing, I started to like calling into, into learning what the most important thing I could do every day was. And then I kind of was tired of people not picking up the phone and not listening. And then I sort of, you know, then you go to a march and then you sign a petition and then you start a petition and then you keep doing, you know, it's sort of like Alcoholics Anonymous, like one day at a time, you just like put your one foot in front of the other and like see where it leads. And for me, just because of where I'm from and um, that this was the right choice for me, you know, but I think that there's so many different, I mean, I guess I just say to people like do one thing every day, um, whether it's just writing a social media post about something that upsets you, you know, articulate what matters to you. That was really important for me with daily action, kind of just kind of putting the words around. Cause I've, I've been a, you know, I've made a living as a writer and journalist for 15 years, but I never wrote about politics. Um, because you know, all these people in these houses that we're seeing like politics, it's life or death, but it wasn't as life or death for me as it is for someone who has lived here since age one, who is being threatened with deportation to Guatemala, you know, because of some whim of our chief executive, you know, but I just started thinking about like what mattered to me, what my values are, kind of what I want my children to see. And that's where it led, you know, um, I also, I turned 40, like right in the middle of the storm. And I was, I said, like, maybe this is my midlife crisis. You know, I'm not, like doing drugs or having an affair or buying a sports car. But like, I just feel like I need it. Like our country needs radical change. And so, yeah, I mean, become, join the PTA, like every little thing matters, just kind of feel ownership in your community. And I think one thing does lead to another. And I'm, I mean, I think that is the gift of Donald Trump. If, I, if you can say that, that, that he has kind of awakened a whole generation of people who had like pretty good, you know, lives and then we can do more just because we're lucky. You know, we can do more. 
And I'm speaking of, you know, lots of people like me. But you also got to see up close an administration that was functional. Right. And then uh, with people I really admired and I saw, I mean, we see now as the, just like how much it matters, you know, um, even things that seem far away from us, like the Iran deal or something, you know, just how much um, politics matters and just, yeah. And they were, and the compromises, you know, that President Obama made that some of which I disagreed with, but um, yeah. And just seeing the deliberation that goes into every decision. And then you see the opposite now. It's literally, I mean, we all know this, but you know, it is just like whatever Donald Trump had for breakfast that day could determine like foreign policy. And that's not right. Like we, we need a new, and you know, obviously I also am really motivated by having constitutional checks and balances restored by having a democratic house in 2018. That's like a really visceral, visceral desire (laughs) for me. And I have a little girl who's amazing. And I just, I don't, I didn't think that this was the world she was inheriting because I became complacent with a functional president, you know? How can we help turn your corner of Texas blue? What can people do to support or find out about your campaign, support it? Oh, sure. I'm actually putting my policy positions up really soon, but moserforcongress.com. You can sign up to receive um, our emails, which I write myself, obviously. Um, And obviously you can donate there and just kind of get the word out. Because right now, I mean, we just need... We need new leadership here. We need new roads. We need we need a lot of stuff. We right can now. come down knock on n- knock on doors for you. Yes. Yeah. We have. I'm I'm hoping to get a lot of um you know people knocking on doors, um in the fall. Right now though, the most important thing is helping, you know, people recover from Harvey. And I am worried about that. In you know, my husband was in Haiti right after the earthquake. And like everyone's there, every NGO in the world. And then like two months later, it's there's the next international crisis and people have moved on. And I see that already um, on Twitter with Houston. You know, there are horrible things that are happening every day now. And people have kind of moved on. But these people in these homes with no floors who are living there have not moved on. So I also encourage anyone who has relatives there here. There's obviously not a lot of... um, spare housing right now since so many people but you know come down and help and if you have any connection to Houston help us rebuild I'm usually much like more witty than I am tonight but it's just like I'm seeing just a lot of well, I, I was looking at you I've been looking at your Twitter feed the po- pictures that you've posted from inside the convention center the your house which is full of supplies I mean I've been following you and many others. And so what you've been doing. Yeah. But that's another thing that I, I, I just, you know, I, I live in a neighborhood that was untouched with a lot of working professionals who have money, you know, they have some spare change and, but, but, but we work and we have kids and like, not everyone can drop everything. I mean, this is kind of my philosophy of daily action. Like not everyone can just stop their day to march on the mall in Washington. But so I just put out a call out. I was like, we need like Benadryl, we need diapers and brooms. And literally, I mean, within seconds, I had just tens of people showing up with huge bags from Target and people want to help. And it's been amazing. You know, and I was like, I will get these to the places where they need to be. 
and people just want to participate. I mean, I, so I felt that way with daily action. Like people want to call Congress. They just don't always know exactly what to call about or, or what they should be doing or who to call. And, and so with a little guidance, um, you can really change the world, I hope. So people can sign up at dailyaction.com? Dot org. Dailyaction.org. I yes. apologize. We'll, we'll post the link. And it's great. You sign up and you get text messages with little actionable points. It's great. You just It just comes like, boop, here's a little actionable point. We'll put links to where you can give. We'll put links to where you can sign up to support the campaign. And you may not be able to go to Houston to knock on the door, but you can give $5 or just tweet. Tweet about her. Like, that's good. We can turn this. And tweet about Harvey Relief, too. Tweet like, about keep Harvey tweeting Relief. About, yeah. People really need help here. Um, keep going with that. Absolutely. Laura, thank you. Thank you for taking uh, time out of what is a busy and crazy time down in Houston to talk with us. And we are excited to follow your campaign and to see where it all goes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, y'all can come. Yeah, we'll do another post, you know, post swearing in podcast. I'll, I'll Done. Right. That's right. <laughs> Lock it in. Yeah. In it to Thank win you. it. Like, Thank you. Dot com. All right. Thank you so much. Boring. Yowza. I feel ready to go do some stuff. That is awesome. I am. Yeah. It is good to be in the presence of people that are doing shit. Yeah. She just got up and did stuff. So that's what we love. Now, Dan, you know what's coming up. I do. I do, Maureen. It's a big week for us. Sure is. Next week, says Whovians, is the one-year anniversary of Says Who. Says Who, the podcast that wasn't supposed to last a year. It's a coping strategy. Ah, it's incredible. It's really incredible. It's also been really funny because all, like, the last two weeks, I'm getting all these, like, auto-renewal of the domain name. Or, like, you know, uh, actually, I believe it was just today, I got a... Happy Twitterversary uh, message from Twitter, you know, for setting up all of these things. And now here we are suddenly rolling right up on the actual one year anniversary. September 14th of last year was when episode one of Says Who came out. And so we are putting out a special episode on September 14th of this year as well. And we are bringing back Anna Marie Cox, who joined us for the first episode. She will join us again one year later. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. Exi- we're, we're having the birthday. We're doing the same thing again one year later. Well, Dan, what would you go back and say to Dan from September 2016? Oh, God. <laughs> Don't do a live show on election night. Mm. I don't watch that I don't watch that no sir oh man I would say to myself there's another closet in the other room so you don't have to podcast with all your clothes on your head and your shoes in your face that does seem like a more useful bit of information it was so dark and so clothy in there so many clothes, Dan. I was really smushed in there. Now you're like just... I really... You're living it yeah. up. 
Yeah, Dad, I used to podcast from a closet full of clothes and shoes, like in a pile, like a maniac. Now I podcast in an empty closet full of soundproofing tiles. So who's the dummy now? Someone that isn't you. Not me. That's You're right. not the dummy. Maureen! Well, so we're going to see you again. Yeah, so we're going to be hitting you up again. We are doing three episodes in three weeks. Mm-hmm. So we won't have to cover as much news. No, because not much happens in a just a one-week period. God damn it, Dan. <laughs> the thing that's funny is I'm like, oh, my God, we're doing three episodes in three weeks, and we did eight episodes in eight weeks when we started, and we didn't even know what we were doing. I mean, we mostly don't. We mostly don't know what we're doing still, but we kind of know. Yeah, we had a guest from major media every single week. Yeah, but this week we had an actual congressional candidate. Yeah, we're moving so up in the world. The dummy now. Yeah, we're cool. Look at us moving on up. Yeah. So our uh, our theme our theme music is performed by Ted Leo, who's has a new album out. He sure does. The Hangman, which includes the actual final version of the song that our theme music is uh, the instrumental version of in a very early take of. And boy, it is crazy when the amount of uh, triggers that go off in my head when I hear it on the record now, because I'm like, oh, shit, I got to say something. But I don't because Ted starts singing. Our logo was designed by Darth. We love you, Darth. Darth, we love you. We do love you, Darth. If you want to be in touch, you can contact us at Says Who Podcast on Twitter, slash Says Who Podcast on Pinterest and Facebook, and you can always email, we love your emails, and we read every one of them, to hey, that is H-E-Y, at SaysWhoPodcast.com. Join us on September 14th for our one-year anniversary special. That is one week from this Thursday. And then we'll be back again the following Wednesday. So, man, there's a lot of says who in your ears soon. From my basement in Chicago, I'm Dan Sinker. From my closet in New York, I'm Maureen Johnson. And this has been Says Who.